Well, the SNES pre-orders went live, you're still not going to get one. The Xbox One X has split fans down the middle, and an interesting article from a game industry veteran praises crunch time in the game industry. My name's Todd Mitchell, this is the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. It is midweek, and that means we're talking about the business behind the games you love. There is a ton of interesting stuff to get to tonight, so let's get right to it. First, a quick reminder about Amazon.com. As you may know, Amazon is the number one sponsor of the Game Dev Breakdown podcast. If you want a free, easy way to support the show, all you have to do is start your next Amazon trip over at CodeWritePlay.com. Do your normal shopping, do anything you'd normally do, and the show will benefit based on what you do without any price changes whatsoever. We could not be any more grateful. So again, that's Amazon.com through CodeWritePlay. So before I get too far into tonight's topics, I want to follow up on some stuff from shows from last week. After we talked about Super Nintendo shortages, uh, I interacted with a couple of people on Twitter. Britt, or at poem underscore that, pointed out Walmart actually took uh, pre-orders for the SNES Classic Edition months ago and then canceled every one of them. That was <laughs> that was uh, particularly terrible, and it it did feed into the story, and we'll be talking more about that later. I was stunned, of course, but I think I think it turned out that uh, Nintendo jumped on them right away, and I think there's maybe sort of a grand scheme at play, and we'll discuss that. Britt also asked about the... The question was, if I had to guess when SNES Classic Edition pre-orders would go live, when would I guess that? I said, try August 29th, because that's going to leave one month, before release, I think they wouldn't want to wait any longer than that, but I thought they were struggling to get ready, which I think I was right. However, they decided to do pre-orders yesterday, which is uh, Tuesday at the time of recording, and, and they just shocked the world by starting this thing at random. And uh, I won't get too far ahead of myself on that. And Britt mentioned that the Xbox One X pre-orders were live. Uh, we'll talk about that too. So thank you, uh, Britt. You have reached friend of the show status, uh, which, uh, will, will gain you nothing, but I, I sure do appreciate it. And, um, different people talk to me and I will be more than happy to address your questions on Twitter, on the show. If, uh, I think they're interesting, everybody feel free to reach out. So let's go ahead and get into our show notes. 21 games, two controllers, one sweet deal. Now you're playing with power. Superpower. So as I just mentioned, SNES Classic Edition pre-orders did go live in the middle of the night between Monday night and Tuesday morning. There wasn't any warning. Um, actually, a couple of people did tweet that they got tipped off at the last minute. But so retailers put their pre-orders live and all of them that I've heard about were sold out within half an hour. In many cases, people use software bots to uh, cut to the front of the line and buy multiple units so they can scalp them, which sucks. People reported things like GameStop locations announced they had no more than 10 units to sell. Toys R Us, I guess, is going to have a good old-fashioned in-store beatdown uh, because they're offering no pre-orders whatsoever, but they did confirm they will have the SNES Classic Edition on launch day. 
So it's just anything goes total mayhem on September 29th. If you, some people are saying that's a good move, maybe. I think it's going to be pretty crazy as a former Toys R Us employee. I would not want to be there on that day. If you want to avoid the retail rush, eBay is already offering the SNES Classic Edition for about $300. And there are apparently a lot of them, so it's possible that most of these things are on eBay now. GameStop says their next available stock will be on launch day. So they're not telling how many they're going to have, but they're saying effectively they're not going to do any more pre-orders. Perhaps the worst retailer I've heard of now is ThinkGeek, who they offered the system as part of these horrible, jacked-up, super price-inflated bundles that ranged from like $140 to well over $300 for this $80 toy. So those are the facts. This is exactly, exactly what we suspected was going to happen. It's what I announced would happen last week. I warned everybody, I hate that it's going this way, but based on past performance, dating way, way back, we knew this is how it was going to go. They did this with the NES Classic. They promised it wouldn't be the same experience as with the NES Classic. And if anything, this is actually worse. This has all the trimmings of a worse experience than people had last year. Um, to be honest, I'm getting concerned that Nintendo planned for this, that they planned for yesterday's pre-orders to be a mess. They wanted that chaos. I feel like maybe they want launch day to be a very visual, chaotic event. I think they want it to look like the scary footage you see on YouTube of Black Friday sales, like people trampling each other in malls and fighting over stuff in parking lots. I'm concerned they're trying to do this maybe to please investors or maybe because somebody wants to sit at their desk and pet a cat and watch this on the big screen and congratulate themselves. I don't know exactly what it is. What the actual impact is, Nintendo is pushing emulation to, to new heights. Illegal emulation has never seemed so attractive. You can play <laughs> every Super Nintendo game there ever was pretty easily these days. Emulation, people don't like to talk about it without admitting they do it. Um, I've, I've certainly tried it in the past. This is very old technology. It can be recreated on computers perfectly. And I feel like Nintendo would do well to remember that. It's as if they don't care. At best, the SNES Classic Edition is just... I mean, it's an emulator of their own design. And it's severely limited. It can't go online, it can't be updated, the games can't be changed. It is what it is right out of the box. And, I mean, what's going to happen if this thing breaks in the middle of next year? Um, are they just going to say, we don't manufacture it anymore, we can't help you? Like, it seems like you're at a huge disadvantage for buying this thing at all. Um, I, I do know two people now who... <laughs> who successfully pre-ordered these things, which is surprising for the number that it sounds like uh, have been sold so far. One is my buddy Mikey Dowling over at Obsidian. He was celebrating on Twitter that he successfully pre-ordered his. And then uh, our friend of the show, Britt, said, yes, I, su I successfully pre-ordered two because there was some concern that the first one didn't work. And hey, I say, good for you all. Congratulations. You have one of the most treasured products for the holiday season already. As for me, boy, I I really can't imagine. I said I said this before, and my wife heard me, and I think she was going to try to 
pre-order me one for uh, my birthday, which was uh, over the weekend. And, and she heard the podcast and <laughs> decided to do something else. I actually have a Nintendo switch on the way to the house right now. So I'm, I'm very excited about that, but as cool as the SNES thing is going to be, I, I, I have no interest in the struggle. That's a huge turnoff. Um, I know I have friends who are going to get one. You, you guys can have it. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm tapping out on this issue. I wanted to take a look at Twitter and see what people were saying about this because people were very vocal about their disappointment with how Nintendo's handling this. And uh, there were some pretty funny jokes. At Joseph Scrimshaw from the Obsessed podcast said, Instead of trying to buy an SNES classic, I've spent the morning being preemptively sad about not getting an N64 classic next year. And at this rate, that's exactly the right concern. At Play D&D with me, said, phew, got a SNES classic before they sold out. And the picture attached to this tweet was a picture of an SNES emulator. So that pretty much goes hand in hand with what I was saying. At Strezabyte, who needs an SNES classic when you can build one out of a Raspberry Pi? And it shows basically a diagram of, of a Raspberry Pi emulator in a physical case that looks just like a Super Nintendo. And again, that's just proving... This, this is really pushing everyone that direction. And I don't think that's what you need to do, especially as we discussed in a previous episode. They could be releasing these games on the Switch, on the Wii U, and they've chosen not to. But at the same time, they've piqued everyone's interest in playing these games again and made the means of doing it almost impossible without emulation. I think it's the wrong strategy. X don't give it to you, Alright, moving on to the Xbox world. Xbox had their Gamescom conference earlier this week where they talked about upcoming games, upcoming technology. One of the big things was that the Xbox One X pre-orders are now live. The Xbox One X is, released, is going to be released on November 11th of this year. The features, if you're not familiar, it's going to have, it's a, a really souped up Xbox One. It's advertising true 4K gaming, 6 teraflop GPU, uh, 1 terabyte hard drive storage, 12 gigs of RAM, 4K Blu-ray, on and on. And then, if you're on Twitter, you've got Mike Ibarra, the Xbox corporate vice president on Twitter saying, I am incredibly impressed by what the Minecraft team is doing on Xbox One X. 4K Minecraft is incredible and you have to see it. Is this really the selling point? You need to buy the most souped up console of all time, hands down, and certainly most expensive to play Minecraft. Like, I understand you just bought this intellectual property and you have to sell it. This may not be the time. Now, critics are not sold on the Xbox One X, like, at all. Paul Tassi over at Forbes wrote a interesting article titled, I bought an Xbox One X, but I'm not sure why anyone else would. This is one of the first things he said he wouldn't buy if his job were not to review things. He put together a list of bullet points that broke down reasons basically that this thing is probably not going to succeed. First, he felt that it won't convince PS4 owners to make the switch because of the smaller player base and it has less exclusives. All the while, it's the most expensive console anywhere like in history. Then you have to consider people who care this much about specs are probably already playing on PC. 
and this isn't going to beat a good gaming PC. Now that's all great. My feeling is I'm not even sure that the Xbox One X fits into Microsoft's own strategy. The way I look at this is they have these play anywhere games, which means you buy a game either on the Xbox store or on the PC using Windows 10 or, you know, actually I think it has to be Windows 10. And then you can play either on Windows or on the Xbox. And they're doing this because they want to bridge the gap between Xbox Play and PC Play, which I get. I understand that. The problem is you can't bridge that gap by shoving more weird hybrid consoles in between the Xbox and the PC. So this is like a weak gaming PC or a too expensive Xbox. And it, it doesn't make sense when they're trying to make players more comfortable on one end of that spectrum or the other. Another thing is the actual gaming experience on the Xbox One X will rely on games that are enhanced. The games have to be specially developed for the Xbox One X. And if you think about that, think about the complaints you hear from PC gamers that they'll occasionally get a bad port of a console game for the PC. You heard this complaint about the last Batman game. Oh, they, they just took a console version and tried to soup it up for PCs. I get it. That's a valid complaint. You paid for hardware that can greatly outperform a console, and you would like to see it do so. But that, that depends on the software being prepared to do that. Now we're asking game developers to make a third stop in the middle there between the Xbox and the PC. I don't think you can reasonably expect studios to do that very often. I'm sure you'll see it for Microsoft exclusives, first-party titles. I, I don't know when else that's going to happen. So as for me, I happen to have a good gaming PC. I really enjoy playing games on the computer, just like I do the Xbox. And there's no way, there's no way I'll buy the Xbox One X. So to get additional perspective on this issue, I took to Twitter. And actually, Twitter is pretty positive on this thing. I noticed lots of people are interested in trying PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds on it. That makes sense. It's a popular game and it, it'll probably be great on the Xbox One X. There are, I saw people tweeting questions about whether Call of Duty would be enhanced on it. I could see that being cool. And then the, um, <laughs> the uh, unofficial theme song of the Xbox One X is, of course, DMX's X Gonna Give It To You. So... <laughs> There, there are a lot of videos of uh, advertisements for it with that song in the background or, um, you know, memes about about DMX, which I think is great. I, <laughs> I was a teenager when that when that song came out. We all loved it. So <laughs> I say bring it on. Finally, we're going to talk about crunch time in the video game industry. Now, if you don't already know, crunch is a term for when game studios sort of stop having fun and force people to work extra, um, probably a lot extra, near the end of a project until a game ships, and sometimes longer. A guy named Walt Williams is a AAA game industry veteran of over a decade. His credits include Bioshock, Civilization, Borderlands, Mafia. He has written and released a book called Significant Zero, Heroes, Villains, and the Fight for Art and Soul in Video Games. To promote this book, he wrote a piece for Polygon titled 
why I worship crunch and it defends crunch time in the game industry. And to do this, he makes points such as it's only crunch if you don't want to do it. We only care about crunch when it doesn't work. And some of us actually like it. Okay, fine. So I read this and I noticed that Walt opens the piece by saying, hey, I'm a mess of a human being who also makes video games. And then he proves it. His psychology around how he handles his work is deeply troubling. Like, he's deeply obsessed. He talks about crunch as a means to an end, saying, if you manage that, and he's referring to crunch, someday you might get to be the asshole building their dreams on the backs of those less fortunate. So with this one, he's basically admitting that it's a manipulative, sort of abusive structure where one person um, uses just harsh, severe labor conditions to create something that he came up with or she came up with, whatever the case is. What's worse is this quote, which is, I've edited scripts in ICU rooms responded to emails while begging lovers not to walk out the door, sent brainstorming lists during the birth of my child. I held my grandfather's hand while he passed away, then went into his office and wrote text for mission descriptions. Okay, that's mental illness. He is clearly trying to fill a void in his life that has consumed him. And, I mean, crunch is a a way to connect. It makes people feel less lonely sometimes. If you are pretty unhealthy. Now, to go hand in hand with that criticism, I have to say, the gross nature of this sentiment does not make him wrong completely. There are some things he says that should not be reality and should not be his reality, but game development is a creative pursuit and it's extraordinarily competitive. And both of these types of pursuits do lead naturally to crunch. When I thought about this, it reminded me of um, something I saw on Facebook not too long ago. I follow, I follow Ben Folds because I'm a huge Ben Folds fan. And not too long ago, one of his kids took a picture of a sign they had made and posted outside of a room in his house that said something like Concerto Cave because he had locked himself in a spare bedroom with a keyboard or piano or whatever it was until his concerto was finished. And I got to listen to part of it live at a concert, and it is extraordinary, but it seems apparent to me that maybe some some unhealthy crunch time went into that project. And we hear stories about this, we hear stories like this from musicians and artists all the time. On the competitive side, I, I know a lot of doctors through my wife, who is a physician herself, and the ones who keep their study time and their participation during residency Uh, When they keep these things in a safe, healthy box, things go bad. They fail their board exams, or they don't get matched with an employer on match day. It takes a certain kind of person to pursue this kind of work, and that kind of person sometimes is more productive in crunch. Or the necessity and the demands placed on you require uh, excessive effort, extraordinary effort, heroic efforts, they, they sometimes say in the medical field. And I've, I've experienced this. I'm only an indie developer. I've never worked in the game industry. But when I have a project, big or small, I find that usually I rationalize crunch. And I tend to work that way. In the case of my game Letter Taps, which I made for my son, 
I kept reminding myself I'm making this for my son and I need this to be done. He's growing. He's learning. I want this to benefit him and I want this to benefit other kids. And I have reasons to, to let this consume me. And it, it does. I'm a, I'm a developer and crunch is sort of the way I, I sometimes function. And I'm here to tell you it's not healthy and there are negative impacts almost all the time. And I, on my other podcast, next gen nerds, we, there was an episode where I described to my co-hosts all about the game development process. And I explained that, um, my big projects did cause backlash with my family. They caused hardship around the house and it was entirely me failing to manage my other responsibilities, um, to keep a healthy balance and to manage my own emotions, moods during that time. There's no question it has a negative effect. However, the job, the people, these things sort of gravitate that direction and it's hard to tell what the right answer is. Another thing is, on the outside of the industry, we sort of celebrate this. We read about it in postmortems. Indie developers participate in game jams, and that's basically a crunch celebration. We pick a theme at the end of the week, and we work around the clock until Monday to turn in a project in two days. What is that other than crunch time? And look at all the great results, all the great projects that come from that. Think of all the games you've heard of that started as um, these crunch time game jam projects. Uh, Surgeon Simulator comes to mind, but there there are tons of games that started as game jam projects that just got fleshed out after that big crunch and that that big thing led to a prototype which people loved. Now there are counterpoints. Look no further than any of the articles written by spouses of game developers and game designers, QA testers especially. It is heartbreaking, and it's hard to hear about. It's hard to read about. These are stories of lives being ruined, relationships being damaged beyond repair sometimes, families being torn apart. It's horrifying. And there's a white paper circulating now that this has come up, titled, Crunch Hurts, How Unmitigated Overwork Harms Employee Health, Productivity, and Your Studio's Bottom Line. And it presents that case that uncontrolled crunch obviously goes bad and they are completely right. So if it sounds like I don't have as clear cut an opinion about this as normal, uh, that is correct. I've seen both sides of this. I've seen crunch go well and go super poorly. And it's, it's hard to come up with an answer. Obviously the best situation is when a studio can manage their projects without the need for mega overtime, a little overtime is to be expected but when people say crunch is to be expected, well, maybe not. So with these things in mind, I turned to Twitter to see what people were saying. And a, a whole lot of people said, you know what? Crunch is why I never seriously pursued work in the game industry. And that's sad. It makes you think about the cool projects or the cool contributions that we're missing out on because of this trend. Maybe, maybe that effect makes it more harm than good. I also saw a lot of people inside the game industry confirming that crunch is real. A, a user called at defective 14 says, I've been a QA tester in the game industry for a little over two and a half years now. I've seen my fair share of crunch, especially when I worked at IW and presumably he is talking about infinity ward. Speaking of call of duty. One thing I found interesting was the perspective of an artist says as an artist in the game industry, I've rarely been in crunch. 
If I had to, I still left on time and I never got in trouble for it because big companies don't care about you. I did my work and went home. Bad management causes crunch. It is not inevitable. Walk out that door. I've said in interviews, I don't do crunch and I've still gotten those jobs. It's not okay. Take care of yourself first. You are worth more than a job. That's interesting. Um, I, I don't think that everybody could get away with that. A lot of companies talk about mandatory crunch and they make it just part of the job, which they're allowed to do. And as she suggests, you are allowed to refuse and it just, it may result in you being required to go find alternative employment. I don't think that's right, but I do think it's probably here to stay. Let me know what you guys think about these topics. Um, I will be back later in the week, hopefully with a guest, to uh, talk about actual games we're playing, fun stuff from around the web, maybe maybe with things that are a little bit less depressing, hopefully. And uh, we'll, we'll goof off. It was awesome having John last week. The show is now on Stitcher Radio. If that's something you use, you can uh, look us up there. Otherwise, Game Dev Breakdown is on iTunes, Google Play, all kinds of other places and we're all over social media so please subscribe if you want to catch new shows as they come out uh, you can also go directly to the source on soundcloud no problem there leave reviews leave comments every little bit helps stats are on the rise which i greatly appreciate and this is a great thing so i'll, I'll keep doing it if you guys keep enjoying it and we'll see where it goes from here so that's all for me in the meantime you guys keep playing and i will talk to you later in the week 